just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the show. My name is Johnny Ball. This is Speaking Influence, the show where we talk about the tools of influence and persuasion, which have always been important in leadership. Whether you're a business owner or a public figure, the ability to not only be seen and heard, but to do so in a way that builds trust and relationships is more vital than ever. Tools like rhetoric and understanding the psychology of persuasion are no longer the sole terrain of political leaders and lawyers. This show's mission is to empower you with the superpowers of ethical influence and persuasion so that your message gets heard, your brand gets noticed, and you elevate your ability to help others with whatever it is you do, whether it's coaching, speaking, courses, products, programs, or anything else. From time to time, we will even take a look at the less ethical side of influence and persuasion so that we can recognize it and defend ourselves against things like manipulation to be able to counter negative intent with tools like critical thinking. Here at this show, I believe that ethical leadership starts with empowering and educating people and that the tools of influence and persuasion from Aristotle to Robert Cialdini are available to all of us who are filled with a mission to make things better. So you can know you're in good company where you belong. Now on to this week's guest. I am speaking this week with an award-winning motivational keynote speaker and a presentation coach. We had a great humorous conversation, lots of laughs, but lots of great knowledge as well. He is the author of Get Good at Work and Get Good at Presenting, the host of the Get Good at Presenting podcast, and a former president of the Professional Speaking Association in the UK. A very well sought after and well-liked public speaker. His name is Lee Jackson. I know you're going to love this conversation, so all I do is leave it to you to enjoy the show welcome to speaking influence the show that helps you to master the psychology and application of ethical influence and persuasion in life and business with persuasive presentations and podcasting coach johnny ball if you're a coach speaker or course creator and would like to have a simple online ecosystem for your business where you can create funnels build an integrated website sell and host courses and live programs build your list with lead magnets manage your sales create communities and so much more in a way that is affordable and fully supported you'll love new zendler you can try everything out for free and if you love it you can register for monthly or discounted annual billing it's more cost effective than most other similar platforms don't pay for a multitude of services you have to then link up manually. Get an online solution that does everything you need in one place. Find the link in the show notes and try New Zendler as the all-in-one solution for your business today. I'd like to officially welcome to Speaking Influence, Lee Jackson. Lee, welcome to the show. Thank you much, Johnny. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. That's really kind of you. It's very kind of you to show up. I've been looking forward to speaking to you. <laughs> and, uh, I, and I know that this is going to be an interesting conversation. 
And before we get to finding out more about why I've been looking forward so much to this and uh, what it is we're going to be talking about, I'd like to know from you. I know that one of the things that perhaps people don't necessarily know upfront about you is that you like old school hip hop, but I'm wondering what the first record or album was that you ever bought? Because we're from a time when that was how you first started your music collection. Yeah, well, it wasn't hip-hop, but I'm really proud. So the first single, and that is a seven-inch vinyl single that I ever bought, was a, a song called Special Brew by Bad Manners. Oh, my goodness. 1981, 1982. I'm really proud of that because it is a cracking song. So get, encourage your listeners to Google that. Special Brew by Bad Manners. It's a, a kind of a scar English classic, really. Yeah, <laughs> I I remember. I kind of remember Bad Manners because they had this sort of version of the Can Can or something. That that's, that was them. Yeah, that was, that was their sort of commercial hit. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was that was it. my my first album was White Feathers by Kajigugu. Oh my god! <laughs> now there is a name you've not heard for a while, right? There, there is, and and interestingly, well, maybe not interestingly, most of that band was from Leighton Buzzard, which is where I used to live, and yeah. I actually met them when I was at school. They came into school to see my teacher. But that's <laughs> a, a very not exciting story to anyone who probably did like, who the hell's Kajigugu? <laughs> Lim- yeah, it was very exciting and, uh, at the time. Nick Beggs and Lamal, I think, were the two main people in that. Yeah, that's Nick Beggs was the drummer. Animal. Yes, yeah, so yeah. I was very excited about about meeting him, and I got their autographs for my cousin, who was besotted with them, and she was very happy. But yeah, wow, your, your taste in music, I think, much cooler than mine. Like my first, my first single was Matthew Wilder's "Never Gonna Break My Stride." Do you remember that one? Oh yeah, I won't sing first... it here, but yes, it's straight away in my head that one. <laughs> it's, a, it's still a great song, but I, I know it's a bit cheesy for some people. And my first album was "The Kids from Fame," uh, so I'm really dating myself, but I Whoa. still love it. I still love it. So I have very cheesy taste in music. So that's not, we're not here to talk about music, but I think that was fun. Thank you for thank you for that, Lee. We're here to talk a bit more about influence and persuasion and public speaking with someone who is a very experienced speaker, someone who has been the head of the PSA, the Public Speaking Association in the UK, and also has written 12 books. And I'm sure you've done a myriad of other things as well. But I want to get a bit of a, an idea from you about your background, your history in your career, and what took you there? Oh my gosh, yeah. So it's the it's a professional speaking association, by the way, just so you know. Oh, um, thank you. You said public, but it doesn't really matter. But yeah, so I guess I became a professional speaker about 14 years ago, I think 13, 14 years ago. Before that, I, was, I used to run a charity, and it was a, a charity that worked in schools. But my job was pretty much to do talks. So I used to do loads of assemblies. I used to do morning assemblies in schools. I used to do lunchtime clubs and lessons. So my job has always been, for the last, oh gosh, 27 years, has always been about communicating with audiences. So that's been a big part of what I do. And I guess that I joined the dots a few years ago and realized that everything I've been involved in, whether it was I, was I was in a band that did pretty well for a little while back in the days. We did some big festivals and that kind of thing. So being in a band, writing books, doing youth work, doing work, work with teachers, everything suddenly came together one day. And I realized that everything that I did was some form of communication. I guess or you, you might say, Johnny, that it's some form of influence, I guess. That's yeah. been my whole life. And then, and then when, so I worked for this charity and then that kind of job came to an end. And I, and I literally sat at home and I thought, I wonder what I could do. And, and I had this weird thought, like, 
could I try and make a living doing what I think I do best? And turns out you can. So yeah. that's literally what I did. I thought, will someone pay me to do what I love to do? I know very naively. And then I Googled professional speaking, found the professional speaking association in a local hotel. They had a meeting in a local hotel. I went to see them and thought, these people are mad, but I kind of like them. And so I learned loads and yeah, that, that, that's, that's the history really. So I've been doing that now for, yeah, like I said, 13, 14 years. So. Fantastic. Now, one of the things that I think a lot of people are very interested in is especially getting started as a speaker. And I wonder how, if you feel that it's very similar now to how it was when you got started and what perhaps are the core things that people maybe should be focusing on in Mm. order to get themselves on stages and and if they're looking to gain more influence and, and get paid as speakers. Yeah, well, if I, if I can be a little blunt without being rude, Johnny, if I'm able to be a little bit blunt, the first thing I would say is park the ego. If you're going to be, if you want to be a speaker because you want to be on a stage, uh, you won't last very long. Yeah. You basically have to solve a problem. And that's where I think a lot of people go wrong. So in the early days, you know, I was dead excited to be on, to be on a stage and to do stuff and at the front of an assembly hall or whatever I was doing in those days. and but actually, if you if it's all about you wanting to, as my friend a uh, long time ago said to me, if you think it's all fat fees and footlights, you'll be very much mistaken because it really isn't. I've spent, it's two, two in the afternoon when we're recording this, I've spent most of the morning doing admin, chasing up clients, going, hello, do you, want to, do you still want to talk to me? Should we follow up on that thing? And I do a lot of that stuff. So it's not as, it's the parky ego, so you solve a problem. But then realize also it's not as much speaking as you think it is. Mm. It's actually running a speaking business. And that is the crux of things. That if you run a speaking business, because speaking, training, coaching, they're all very similar in that those different ways. That is different from this idea that you just have a one-page website and everybody suddenly books you as a speaker. It doesn't work like that. Right. And this is one of the things that perhaps came up when we had a a bit of a chat a while back about some of the realities of the speaking world, that it's not often what people expect, you know, and and I often have had that in my past, not just from the realities of speaking and coaching and the likes, but I I used to be a flight attendant and people have very interesting, interesting ideas about what that involves and that it maybe is some (laughs) kind of glamorous lifestyle. And anyone who's ever done that kind of work can tell you it's, it's really not that glamorous. It does sometimes have its moments, but most people's concept of what that actually is, is very different. They just see one thing, they see the, what they see on the stage. And I guess that's the same with speakers, right? What they see in front of them, what they, what, what people see on the plane is what they think cabin crew are, what they see on the stage when they're in the audience is what they think speakers are. Yeah, absolutely. And it is the, you, you. It's this idea that you have to shovel, uh, in order to get, in order to get to some, in, if you're mining gold. You have to move a lot of rock. You don't just, you wouldn't be able to pan for gold or, or dig for gold if you just suddenly turned up and you, you got a metal detector out and you went, Oh, there's some gold. Let's, let's, that's brilliant. No, people have to shovel for years to, to get to where they want to be to find the gold. And so the gold and me in my element is me on a stage or me at the front of a training room. That's me in my element. Maybe on a stage more, actually. I do do training, but I call myself a speaker who trains, not a trainer who speaks. It's a slight little difference. 
But I'm definitely in my element on a big stage with 200 or more people, even thousands. I've done two and a half thousand or even bigger stuff. So that's me and my element. But the fact is, is it's a lot of web development. It's a lot of social media. It's a lot of emails. It's a lot of phone calls. And it's a lot of trying to work out how, what do you, what information do you have? What niche and expertise do you have that solves somebody's problem? Yeah. How did you first decide then what problems you would like to be solving? And did you stick with what you first decided or has, has there been an evolution there? Oh, it's definitely an evolution. In the early days, I was almost exclusively a school. I'd, I was in schools and I actually moved away. I, I really wanted to get away from schools. I thought I've had enough now. <clears throat> did that job for 14 years. Let's move away. But then actually schools kept ringing me saying, oh, you couldn't come and do this motivational talk. You know, we've got a year group that's struggling. You couldn't come Lee and, and have a word with them. Could you? And give them some tips to help them. And so I, I did a lot of schools work in the early days and then I did some training and, and other bits and bobs. But over time, then I sort of did a lot of stuff on slides. I wrote a book called PowerPoint Surgery, became known as a guy who did slides, but that was a sort of an accident, Johnny. It wasn't yeah. like, I didn't want to be like the slide guy. So I got rid of that. And, and really now I, I, I ended up with a brand, which is Get Good. So I own the copyright for Get Good, and that is Get Good at Work, which is my motivational stuff, my being a keynote speaker at a, a, a staff away day or at a conference. And then I have Get Good at Presenting, which is me working as a presentation coach or trainer and work with lots of executives and do quite a lot of work in the public sector, actually, which is one of my little niches that I work quite well in environments uh, like the public sector, which are not known I need to be very careful what I say. They're not known for their creativity necessarily, Johnny. They're wonderful <laughs> people, but they're often there's a lot of red tape, you know, there's a lot of stuff, rules and regulations. And so sometimes when they come to present in those environments, they need someone like me to find that creative spark to, to get involved in storytelling and stuff like that. So yeah, so get good has kind of been my thing. So there's get good at presenting, which is the book as well. And then PowerPoint surgery became get good at slides. So there's a theme developing, do you know what I mean? And, nice uh, branding, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that kind of helped. Uh, that kind of happened partly by accident, partly to do with the PSA, the Professional Speaking Association. I spoke to a few colleagues and, and I said, what's my brand? What should I call myself? What do you know me for? What do I specialize in? And I worked it out as as that kind of get good, which, which is a nice thing for me because it's not only is it a bit of alliteration, but also it allows me, because I also do get good at school, I do some schools work at 10% now as my work and I do get good at leadership as well. So I can develop the get good at and, yeah. but just to put that into context, Johnny, that took me 10 years to find that. Right. And to develop that. Yeah. So do you yeah. think it's more important that people just get started or should they have some kind of formulation before they do? Ooh, well, everyone's situation is different, isn't it? So if someone has, if someone is employed and they want to become a professional speaker, I would say remain employed and work your way into it. Yeah. That's what I'd say. Or work four days a week or something like that. Or, you know, because I know quite a lot of speakers who took their holiday, they took their holiday to do speaking gigs, you know? So, uh, I, I mean, I was all in. I was both feet in, earned about £4.50 in my first year. I was both feet in, let's do this. Right. But I wouldn't want to be the person that tells someone to do that and they and they lose their home or their family. You know, I would, 
just take it easy. Uh, is it for you? Dip your toe in the water. Uh, join the PSA. Talk to other speakers. All of that kind of stuff. Because not all that glitters is gold. Not all advice that you see is real. And find your voice in all of that stuff, really, which is the key to influence, isn't it? That you, yeah. you know, you need to find your own voice with, while learning new skills, find your own voice uh, so that you can be yourself for the rest of your life. Yeah. And that perhaps is one of the bigger problems that new speakers face in terms of having that influence and credibility initially, because it mm. takes, it can take time to build that up. Are there any things that you think might help in terms of establishing somebody's credibility at an early stage? Yeah. So, so in an early stage of being a speaker, there's a chicken and egg problem. And the chicken and egg problem is I need testimonials. I need social proof that I'm good at what I do, but I can't get social proof unless I've done speaking gigs and training gigs. So there's a, as chicken and eggs, which bit do you do first? Well, this is why I would say doing the part-time thing kind of works because you can get some testimonials. So I, I, you have to really, in my business, you have to collect all the time. So I collect. So if someone says something nice to me on social media, I collect it and I save it. Not only for my own well-being, when I'm having a, a bad day, I can look back and go, oh, do you remember that gig I did a few years ago? And they said all those nice things. That's always a helpful for your kind of low-level mental health. It's good to be reminded that you're good at your job. But also, you need to build up that social proof. So you start to build a website and LinkedIn and stuff where you start to get testimonials. So yeah. I got testimonials in the early days of people who knew me, but maybe didn't book me as a speaker, but they'd see me in my other role. So they could vouch that I was good at my job, but they hadn't booked me physically yet for the new job, but it was a transferable skill because I was a little speaker in my other job. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So collect video testimonials, which are like gold dust and collect written and LinkedIn testimonials or recommendations. And that will start to build your business. You'd be amazed at how many people will give you a recommendation. So don't be afraid to do that. But yeah, yeah, gosh, it's complicated, but. It, it is doable. It is doable. <laughs> it, it, it's harder perhaps at, at those earlier stages, you say, it's yeah. like that there's, especially if anyone's starting from haven't been a speaker before or haven't really got the, the contacts or network to do that, it can feel like you're starting with nothing and, and that's okay. You can start with, like you say, join a PSA, join a Toastmasters club, get some opportunities to speak, get some people to record you, get your Toastmasters yeah. friends to review you, get your PSA friends. That, that's how it will get started. So the ball has to start yeah. rolling somewhere with yeah. all of that. And that's really how you develop influence. I just want to point out the difference between Toastmasters and the PSA because people, this is really, really important that people get it. So Toastmasters will, will build your confidence to be a better public speaker. The PSA helps you to build a business out of speaking. So I have a lot of friends who were in Toastmasters and transferred or moved over or did both and now are in the PSA. But right. Toastmasters it will never, ever teach you to be a professional speaker. It teaches you a style of speaking, which is designed over a course of a couple of years to develop your confidence up front. So I always encourage people to use Toastmasters. It's a great organization. Uh, you'll meet some good friends. You'll meet some fun people. But the PSA is the place where you can learn to make 
business and make profit. And you, there's a local region. So the two things are slightly different. Like, for instance, I always think that when I, I was talking to someone who was in Toastmasters a few weeks ago, and I noticed on their LinkedIn, and they approached me and said, can I have a chat? And I said, yeah, no problem. I'm happy to have a quick chat with you, uh, you know, for free. I just thought, yeah, that's fine. I just like to help people, right? Because it's been nice, isn't it? But I noticed on their LinkedIn, it said public speaker. Right. So the first thing I say is, remove public speaker from your job title. You're not a public speaker, you're a professional speaker. A public speaker does it for free at the Women's Institute. A professional speaker gets a substantial fee for what they do. Yeah. At what point do you think somebody is ready to start getting paid for what they do then? <laughs> wow. They need to be good enough and they need to find something that people would want. I guess there's no easy way of doing that. I mean, the, I know I know, I, I have seen no of, but, I, but think about me as, as a punt, as well as being a speaker, I'm also a delegate, a punter at conferences, right? I've, even when I'm speaking at a conference, I'm often there for the day listening to six other people speak or you know, pre-COVID, I did it anyway. <laughs> now I'm on a Zoom call waiting for other people to speak. Yeah. But I think you, you get to know, and I've seen lots and lots of speakers, hundreds of speakers. And I would still say that there's some that get paid that aren't particularly good, but they solve a problem. And so they, their expertise trumps their platform skills. Yeah. So don't let it be about platform skills without saying anything. So like often the worst presenters that I see are people who talk about themselves all the time. Right. So they will say, I've done this and I've done this. And you see them quite often. They've been, maybe been on a TV show and they've gone into sort of the speaking circuit. Not, I don't think there's a circuit, but, and, and, but they always do me, 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 me. And I always think that's the worst talk in the world. So I think when you're ready is when you have enough platform skills to get up there, whether it's on a camera like this or whether it's in a, in, in the room, but also that you have that expertise, which is relevant to an audience. Because it's never just about telling your story. It's always about making the things relevant. So even when I tell a story, it's always about the application of that story. And I think that's a very subtle thing. So like comedians, for instance, that I love, I have lots of friends who are comedians. I love comedy. But comedians are there to entertain. Speakers are there to educate or to motivate. So we have to be slightly different. So as much as I love Billy Connolly, uh, Billy Connolly doesn't really educate you know, he's an entertainer. So we have to bring some educational stuff that is both true and relevant to an audience. Yeah. I often talk with comedians and also humorous speakers as well, that sometimes there is crossover and perhaps more in mod a lot of modern comedy, perhaps a more of an educational or informational aspect to a lot of humor these days, but not always. A lot of it is just entertainment, but certainly in the world of public speaking, I've had guests like Jeremy Nicholas come on the show who say, will say something like, "If you, you, know, you don't have to be funny as a speaker unless you want to get paid. How true do you feel that is? How important is that to have humour? And do you also, I wonder, do you also feel that it, it's something that is a mark of a good speaker? Yeah, so Jeremy's a friend of mine, so I can have a go at him uh, and have a go. No, uh, Jeremy's great, but Gen Jeremy uh, does a lot of his work is after dinner speaking. So he is deliberately booked to be humorous about the stuff that he, because he was at the BBC, he was a reporter, he was also a stadium announcer at West Ham. So he has a lot of football stories, a lot of media stories. So he's that kind of person. So he's booked. 
to do that. But also, if he was booked during the day, he would be more educational than just entertaining. So yeah. it depends on which slot you're in, because there's the day slot, there's the seminar slot, there's the workshop slot, then there's the after dinner, which obviously is the industry that has disappeared right now, or mm -hmm. it will come back, of course, but it's the industry that disappeared overnight because no one was getting together for dinner. But he's still, and he was quoting Cavett Robert, I think, I think it's Cavett Roberts, who was the founder of the NSA, the National Speakers Association, which is um, the American version of the PSA. And he said, you don't have to be, you don't have to be funny to be a speaker, but you do if you want to get paid. Yeah. That is the quote. And that is a wonderful quote. So yes, I think humor is super important. Apart from the person, like I said, who, who is obsessed with themselves going, let me tell you about me, 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 me. The other worst kind of speaker is the ones that don't have any humor. Right. Because I think one of the best things you can have is a bit of humor so that you prove to an audience you don't take yourself too seriously and you are able to laugh at you. Super serious speakers, they switch me off pretty quick. I'm, I'm like, oh gosh. Because who wants someone who can take themselves too seriously? That's not good for anybody, is it? Indeed, indeed. Well, one thing I get a lot of different answers to, and if I think back, I, I've done a, over a hundred episodes of this show now, and I've been having a bit of a reflection about the journey so far. And so I noticed that I get a lot of different answers mm -hmm. when I ask things like, what makes somebody a good speaker? What makes somebody memorable on the stage? What are your feelings on that? Wow. Gosh, these are amazing questions, Johnny. Wow. So it depends on who the audience is and what you, because like, for instance, I love basketball. If an NBA player was doing a talk, I'd be more interested maybe than you would, Johnny, if you're not really into basketball. Do you see what I mean? So part yeah. of it is your engagement with that person, you know, and that's part of it. But I, I, I think that someone has to, um, I think that the BBC has, it gets it well, the BBC has a plaque on their old broadcasting house and the BBC, it says the BBC something like the BBC exists to inform, to educate and to entertain. So there's those three tenants. I think that's the three. And, and I quite like that mix of things. So yes, you do have to inform people, you know, um, one of my little side hobbies in, in over the lockdown period has been investigating conspiracy theories and why people have become anti-vaxxers. I'm not interested in, cons I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm interested in people, why people are interested in those conspiracy theories. So I've done some research. So for something like that, I would have to inform people that what you believe is wrong and here are the reasons why. So that's an informing thing. Then you educate by telling them everything about conspiracy theories and you talk about Andrew Wakefield and the, the stuff about the MMR and you talk about all of that stuff. But then I would, but then I would, then I would entertain them with some of the funny people that I've met along the way, like the person who I met uh, recently somewhere, and they were they they said, "Oh, great to see you, Lee." And they leaned over and they looked around like this, and they went, "Have you noticed, Lee? Have you noticed?" I said, "Notice what?" And he says, "The aliens are definitely here." And they leaned in and looked. Honestly, they really did lean in and go. They're definitely here. It feels different. Do you not think? And I was like, no, you've got your crisps, you know? So, so that's the same subject, but it's informing, educating, entertaining. Do you know what I mean? So you, yeah. so I would tell a story like that, 
which would be a little bit of acting and a bit of like, oh, that's the sort of entertainment bit, as well as informing them that this person is incorrect as they, I don't believe there's any evidence that aliens have landed in West Yorkshire. So, But, you know, if they were going to land anywhere, why not such a beautiful place? Well, as they say, it is God's own county. And yeah, so I think, why not? If they're going to come anywhere, there's plenty of green space around. They can uh, land anywhere they want. They'd struggle in London to land, I would think. Yeah. <laughs> they, they might well do. They might have to borrow Branson's helipad or something like that. But at least in Yorkshire, they've got plenty of uh, green space to make their pretty patterns on the fields and, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> Which is always good. Yeah, that's right. That's, that was always a sign, I think, when I was a bit younger. That was always a sign that there was no news in the summer was when they started reporting on crop circles, wasn't it? That was, uh, <laughs> don't, Parliament's don't hear not so much. Yeah, yeah, don't hear so much about it these days. Thankfully, Parliament's I'm not, not sure. sitting, something else is not happening. And, but, uh, yeah, so, <laughs> but here's the crop circle. So the, the other thing I'd go back to, to how, do, how does someone become a good speaker? How, how do you know that they're a good speaker? One of the things that I teach people when I'm teaching them how to present is that, that every talk is a little chunk of information. So if you imagine, so I've got like some cards here. Imagine every talk, these, these little kind of post-it cards, imagine uh, that this, you have a little chunk of information. So every talk really is made up of three to five minute chunks. And I think a good speaker would use the informing education uh, entertainment thing. And each chunk would be slightly different. So there'd be a bit of data, there'd be a bit of story, there'd be a bit of reflection, maybe ask the audience a question. So every one of these little chunks would be slightly different. A boring speaker is someone who does the same thing in a monotone voice without changing, whether it's reading from a set of slides, which of course I did a lot of research on from a book, whether it's death by PowerPoint, which basically is reading from a slide and not changing at all the tone of your voice. And they wonder why people go to sleep or whether it's just actually you know, someone who's just telling an overlong story. I went to a wedding once and the father of the bride speech was we timed it at 47 minutes. <laughs> um, you know, and so by after 10 or 15 minutes, people were on their phone. We were, we were, and there was loads of speakers and stuff in the audience. So we were, we'd sort of started texting each other going like, what is going on here? So we, we were in the room, but we weren't actually engaged. And unfortunately in work situations, that's often what's happening. They're on a zoom call. They're in a physical room. They're on a Microsoft Teams meeting. And actually, they're doing their email because the presenter is so dull. So it's a complete waste of time. So we just need to be better at it and we need to work on it, I guess. Yeah. There, there are a lot of people these days who say that stories are the key to being memorable. Do you agree with that? And are they the only key to being? I think they're a massive piece of the jigsaw, yeah. I think being memorable, a good story really helps. I think also you being authentic also helps. I think you doing your research and doing your preparation, of course, always helps. And stage mechanics, where do you stand? What do you stand? Where do you look? All those things are important. But story is something that I find that people either overuse badly or they forget about completely. It's... um. In, in businesses, when I work in businesses and in the public sector, I find that people have jettisoned story. They just forget that it exists. And, it, and I did some research on story and 
depending on which piece of research you read, which is interesting, this is the education bit again, Johnny, depending on which information you read, a story will make a fact between six and 22 times more stickable. So if you want something to land, you want something for a staff to remember, for them to take away, then you, why not use a story? It's a massive piece of the jigsaw. But a story still has to be well-crafted. It still has to be concise. It still has to have significant people in it. It has to have names in it, locations. And uh, it's what I call just enough detail. Hmm. So how would you go about putting a story together for a presentation? What would be your first, your first thought there? Yeah, so what I would do is, depending on what I'm doing, I, I, I would always encourage people to have a bank of resources. So I'll just get my phone one sec. So either a physical bank of resources, which I have in my filing cabinet. Yes, I still have a filing cabinet, Johnny. It's old school. <laughs> I do I too. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. I have several notes. So there's loads of different ways to keep notes. So when something interesting happens or something is relevant to your work or business, then just write those things down. So I've got lots of things here. One of them is called New Talk Ideas. I've got another one that's just called, it's, a, it's, a, it's an iPhone note. You'll see it. Look, you'll see how much is mm -hmm. in that. Yeah, yeah. And it's just called Remember This. And whenever I see something funny or quirky or interesting or sad, write it down and I keep it so that when I'm ready to do a talk, I can go back into these stories and go, oh, I can use that and I can use that. So it's like having a library of photographs and a library of stories and anecdotes that you can keep. So here's one I wrote down a week ago. My friend, I won't give the name, my friend who's an executive in a company told me that he'd lost three stone over uh, lockdown because he, because he watches what he eats a little bit, but he put an autoresponder on his email saying that I'm out and about on my phone. Please ring me. Don't email me. So it's just a little anecdote about how this guy, because I saw him and I thought, wow, you've lost some weight. And yeah, he basically said he used to go for walks, for a one or two hour walk in the middle of the day and just have his, have his phone on his ear and he would just speak to clients and colleagues rather than sitting on Teams and Zoom. I thought, what a great idea. So he literally, his autoresponder said, if you want to catch me quickly, just give me a ring now. And people did. Yeah, that's great. And I thought it was good for his well-being. It made him efficient and, and he wasn't just sat on a screen. And, yeah, yeah. That's so I just write that stuff down and then I, I may use it like I've done now or I may never use it. But uh, comedians do the same thing. They write things down that they see. It's just a habit. If you're a speaker, a trainer, maybe even a coach, write stuff down and uh, it makes a difference. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, if, even if you're not uh, a speaker or, or heading down that path, if you're in coaching or if you're in any kind of service business, it's worth doing these things because probably at some point you will be giving some kind of presentation, but also you may be thinking about writing books and stuff as well. And that stuff you're going to yeah. want to bring in at least some elements of that into your book writing. I, I'm assuming as someone who's written so many books, you might, <laughs> I'm hoping you agree with that, I guess. Yeah. So the first thing I do on a, so I have a file on my phone and in the file cabinet that said presentation skills on it. And when I wrote, when, when I wrote, get good at presenting, the first job I did was to go onto my phone, go on my email as well, look at my socials and look at my filing cabinet 
and and look at everything that I'd written about presenting, and I pulled it into one file, and out of that file came thirty eight thousand words. So yeah. that's where. It, so I didn't start from scratch. I started gathering all that stuff, and I, I even looked at my slides, um, looked at the training that I delivered, and I took little bits out. And interestingly, this the book "Get Good at Presenting" is ironically, um, it's actually dictated. It's not written. So I didn't write it on a screen. I wrote, I dictated 90% of it because I'm a speaker, right? Yeah. So I dictated it and I just paid someone to do, you can do it um, electronically, but actually I paid someone that would understand my accent to, <laughs> to actually type the whole thing up. So I paid them a, a, a little bit of money to do that. And that's, that, that held me in good stead, really. And people say that they like the book because it sounds like I'm talking to them. And I literally am talking to them. I mean, I had to edit it like five times, Johnny, you know what I mean? But you, there's something about, people think that they, there's something magical about their blank Word document. You know, it's like, no, 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 just get that information out and you can make a book out of a series of talks yeah. if you want. You know, so. I, I guess you had the audio book ready to go as well then. Yeah, well, I recorded the audio book afterwards, but I did have the raw yeah. audio book, yeah. But it automatically sort of, I, I used a piece of software, a book writing software. I can't remember. It's called Script or something. can't remember the name of it now. Oh, Scrivener. I use Scrivener. Okay, I've heard of Scrivener, yeah. Yeah, which is a wonderful piece. And it's, it keeps you, it's like a scrapbook. And then you make the scrapbook into a book. But once it was done, the audiobook was easy. I just, I've got my pro mic. I've got a little thing. And I just recorded it uh, in one day, I think. Yeah. Do you still feel that books are an important part of credibility and influence as a speaker? Yeah. So you don't have to have a book to be a speaker, but I found a book to be a great business card. I found a book useful to get. So like this morning, a client, a new client rang me who wanted some coaching. It was a senior sort of person in a senior leadership person <clears throat> and they contacted me and one, and they said, oh, I'll send you some dates, Lee. Let's look at some dates. Let's work out some coaching times. And I said to him straight away, I said, oh, just, and don't forget to email me your address. I'll send you my book. So when I send someone a book, it often gets me the gig, I think. Because even if someone says no to me, I'll probably still send them a book. Because what I'll do is then my book stays on their bookshelf for usually a couple of years or more. And so my name is on their bookshelf and it's deliberately, you know, written in a way that they would see it quite clearly. And because people throw away, they delete emails, they throw away business cards, they'll chuck away PDFs that you send them, but people don't throw away books very often. Right. And if you put, if you say a message in the front, so it becomes a really good marketing tool and it just sits there and they think when they need a presentation coach, they'll think, oh. I'm going to give that guy Lee a ring. Oh, look, his details are on the back. It's a miracle. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. It makes a great business card, but uh, also something, as you say, a great a great marketing tool as well. Fantastic. So still very much worth having. And, and I do think that there is still that credibility factor of people still look at someone who has a book or more than one book as being expert, as being an authority on something. But I do feel that there are things like having a podcast or being, being known as a, a guest on many places that can do similar things for you but uh, yeah but why not all of it why not do all of it well yeah as long as you don't get too stressed out with it i mean i have got another book that i need to write because i've not written the get good at work book yet 
So I know that that's my next thing. So I'm going to write a small book for that one. Like it's going to be something a bit different. It's going to have some, it's going to have some pictures in it. It's going to be like a more of a dipping in kind of book. So rather than 40,000 words, it might only be 10,000 words, but with lots of stuff in it. So people would encourage them to get good at work. So I, I know what I need to do it. I just need to get around to doing it, which I'll probably do over the next six months or so. Fantastic. But, but yeah, books work. Just do, just be careful that you write a good book. That's all I'd say, Johnny, because <laughs> I do know of people in the industry who maybe just write, they just put throw together some blogs and stick it in a book. I actually make sure I actually, my books are standalone and hopefully that they will stand the test of time, I thought. Yeah, I, I I agree with you there. I perhaps go a bit the uh, to a, very much the other way on I want everything I do to be very well researched and planned and thought out and okay. perhaps to a point that it slows me down a bit, but um, I, maybe why it takes me longer to write books than it necessarily needs to. But yeah, yeah. I agree with you. I think it's, uh, I don't think it's great to be putting out content into the world that isn't valuable or helpful or isn't even yours in a lot of cases <laughs> and uh, that's uh, that to me is outside of integrity you know i know people do it and i know some people do very well with it but that's not how i want to operate yeah uh, that, that might be a little caveat i can just give people that are, if you want to be speakers here little caveat is it has to be your own material don't just regurgitate a tony robbins talk don't just regurgitate a Zig Ziglar talk or somebody who's your favorite. It has to be you and it has to be your content. You can use elements of CBT and NLP, all these. You can use elements of those kind of things, but it has to be you. Otherwise, you'll just look like everybody else. Absolutely. You have to have your own message, your own thing to say. I, I agree 100%. This has been a, a very fascinating conversation. I, I definitely want to know more about your book about work. Is that going to be helping people work more efficiently, be more organized, more productive? What's going to be your goal there? Yeah, so I think it will be, uh, like I said, a bit more of a dipping in. So like sort of top tips to stay motivated at work. So what do you do when you hate your job? What do you do when your boss is getting on your nerves? What do you do when you get a new colleague? Very practical. My stuff is very down to earth, very practical stuff. So there won't be lots of theories or managerial theories. It'll be like, this stuff works. Here's the reason why. Why don't you try that? Little tips like that. And it'll be more like a paragraph on each page, maybe with some, some artwork as well to sort of draw people in. So I'll be doing something like that. But I think there's a million books out there on work. So yeah. what, I, what I quite enjoy is something that's a, a little bit easier to read, a bit easier to dip in and out of. Because people, I don't think, because books also can be an egotistical thing, Johnny. And I think, and I have some friends who are big readers, but I don't know a lot of people that have got time to read 60,000 words on a regular basis. You know what I mean? So, Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very much an audiobook kind of guy. I, I yeah, love audiobooks. I, I probably get mm. through two or three a week and, and podcasts on top of that. Yeah. So I clearly like the audio format. I guess that's why I do podcasting as well. But yeah, I, I know that I'm, going to be definitely when my book's ready is going to be going out as an audiobook as well and very quickly but that's uh, a nice easy way but i think that also hopefully helps keep me from making things too technical in what i talk about because certainly when i hear myself saying this other i know whether it's sound too jargonistic or too technical and whether it needs yeah. to be simplified a bit it's a, a good strategy so that the your idea about talking the whole thing out i really like it i'm going to I'm going to take that away from our conversation today <laughs> and implement that in my book writing. So thank you. 
Before, before we start to wrap things up in our conversation, which has been a real joy and I knew it would be, people can come and find out about your books and, and that's great. But I always like to ask my guests, what book recommendations besides your own that you might give to people? What are the books that perhaps have made an impact on you that may or may not be around speaking oh, or influence, but what are the books yeah, that yeah. you would generally recommend? Well, what, in context of just anything or, or you mean well, work-related or... Books that have made an impact on you, or but say, what well, if there's a book that everybody should read, or every if you want, every speaker should read, what should it be? Okay, oh wow, there's so many. I, I should have written a big list, I forgot to do that, Johnny. You forgive me if I was meant to do that. Let me tell you about a recent book that I read, which which is an audio book. Do you? I was finding you say you've read a book when you've listened to it on audio. I, I probably need to just say I read it. But, I do, but yeah, because I mean, you, you read yes. books, yeah. <laughs> I saw a, a really great book that came out only last month, I think, called Outraged by Ashley Dotty Charles, Outraged. And it's a wonderful, funny and straight to point, and, and it's talking about social media and how people are outraged and why they're outraged and why we shouldn't exacerbate that stuff. So it's, it's a little bit about mental health. It's about social media management. It's about size because really I, I love watching society. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm a people watcher. So I've always been really interested in why is there so many angry people on Twitter? You know, what, what is going on? Cause I'm always interested in the psychology, the motivations, that's my job. And, and so I found that a really helpful book. It's not something that I would normally have read particularly. It's, it was just a great book. So outraged by, by Ashley Dotty Charles is, is one, one I would definitely uh, go for. I was just having a look. I was having a quick skim through. Oh man, there's so many books. I know it's, it's, it's hard to choose. And sometimes you just yeah, have to yeah. go to recent ones that you've enjoyed and and that stuff that's in your memory yeah. still. Yeah, yeah. So I, I I watched I watched lots of other things regarding presentation skills. I'm looking at my bookshelf now. There is a few classic books there that really work well. Slideology is great by Nancy Duarte. Slideology is great. Unspeak by Stevens Poole and. Uh, some of the Sarchi stuff, so brutally simplicity of thought. I quite enjoy that. And what was the, there's even a fun one called by Bob Monkhouse. Remember the comedian Bob I Monkhouse? I remember Bob Monkhouse, yes. I think it was called The Speaker's Handbook. And that's got some great tips in it as well. It's a really old book, probably from the 60s or 70s, but that has some great tips in it as well. So I would really look at that. I think the Steve Martin book is a good book as well to read. So reading about comedians always helps. But yeah, I mean, I've, I could tell you a, a thousand books um, would be relevant, right? <laughs> I think you've given us some some great resources there that we can go and check out. So I appreciate All that right. very much. If there's one thing that you hope is memorable for people about this, that they take away, put into action, remember it, apply it in the lights from what they've heard today, what would you hope that that thing would be? Find your niche. Find your story. Be authentic. That's great. Lee Jackson, thank you so much for coming and being a guest on Speaking Influence. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you. I've learned a lot and uh, I know I've asked some really deep and probing questions today and you've given us some fantastic answers. I really appreciate that and the time you've given to us. Thank you so much. Thanks, Johnny. Nice to be here. Well, thanks for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure you are subscribed for future episodes. What can I tell you about the year ahead? Well, 2022 is already shaping up to be a great year 
where I already have a full roster of amazing guests booked in up until May next year. So there is going to be no shortage of conversations. I'm sure we'll be booking up the rest of the year very soon. Some incredible people have said yes to coming on the show, and I'm looking forward to bringing those conversations to you as well. We'll also be introducing you to our sponsors brand phase very soon. You'll find that they'll be epic. They'll be sponsoring our episodes. They'll be able to, they'll they'll be sponsoring the show from January onwards, and we will be introducing you to the amazing people behind Brandface as well, and telling you more about their incredible work. You can still support the show financially too. If you would like to do that, visit the Supercast page in the show notes below. And even if you can't support us financially, please do consider sharing the show out with your friends and your network. And leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, you can even now leave us a star rating on Spotify if you are listening to the show there. For those of you who are listening in the closing days of 2021, have an amazing rest of your year and wishing you a fantastic year ahead. Let's make the next year the best ever. Go and make great things happen.